Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. This week, we have a fantastic guest, and I'm going to make my intro short so you can get right to it. But before we move on, don't forget to like, subscribe, tell a friend all about the Swirl Suite podcast. So our guest this week is Miriam Ahmed. She's the owner of Miriam and Company and the co-owner of the Diversity Wine Leadership Forum. Miriam is a social impact entrepreneur, a speaker, a writer, and a community builder. Andrew Zimmern referred to her as the straw that stirs the drink. I hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. My introduction is not as eloquent as Glennis's is. She is not with us today. She's getting ready for the big charity event, 12 Days of Christmas. Leslie and I will be in attendance, so we're excited about that. Hey, y'all. How was your hey. holiday? How's it going? Haven't talked to y'all in a while. It was a holiday, girls. It's a regular Thursday, so. Um... True, true, especially for you, yeah. Do they, uh, they don't have any yeah, options. I had not one piece of turkey, no mac and cheese. Oh, so not it really for, was like a regular not, day. You didn't even like hang with the Americans? No. <laughs> okay. Fair. Have you, have I you, worked the you whole weekend. You worked. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I usually do it. Um, It's just most of the time they celebrate on Saturday or Sunday, but I worked that Saturday and Sunday. So I missed out on... um any possible dinners so mm. I'll eat and when you say else. work does that mean like a tour yes a tour I did a day trip to Champagne that Saturday oh well um, that's a good place and then I had a tasting that Sunday so woe is me right so sorry to hear that <laughs> well I decided that I wasn't cooking this Thanksgiving um, Leslie, do you ever cook for Thanksgiving? Is that a thing? I do. Oh, got it. That sounds shady. That sounded it, like it's, shady. It, it, it's not shady. It's just like okay. I it was I have cool. never it heard was. Leslie say, Oh, I gotta go to the grocery store and get and, and make this and make that. Even though you did cook for us once. <laughs> well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I like I let the help go. So you know I have to cook for myself. No, um I decided not to cook. Well, my mother said. Oh, let's not do all that cooking. I can't remember the last time she cooked, but um, it's usually me who's cooking. So she said, let's not do all that cooking. And I said, okay, mother, um, I'll just do a few sides that, you know, we normally would have that I couldn't get catered or what have you. So I ordered this rather expensive catering for... It's supposed to be four of us, and it says it has a turkey and um, three sides and a dessert or what have you. Long story short, my mother changes her mind after I paid for this whole dinner, and um, she wants to go over to relative's house, which was kind of a good thing because the turkey, when they said it was a turkey... I was expecting like at least a decent sized breast. It was like a little mini breast. Oh, it was like so, a little rotisserie chicken stuff. Pretty much. I was so upset. Plus, my mom had personal actually, pan turkey. That's cute. Yeah, yes, yes. Like if we had gone to Popeyes or something and got one of them turkeys there. So my mother had promised where we were going that we would bring the turkey and it was going to be like 20 people there so I ended up on Thanksgiving day running to the grocery store and buying turkey by the parts like I bought the huge ass chicken breast and three or four um, turkey legs and wings because I couldn't like a franken turkey it together to look like a turkey or you just served it all separate i served it all separate but i couldn't cook i had to cook this in about two and a half hours to get there like when i discovered this 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 is this is this is crazy ambitious i would have given up like i'm so sorry y'all not gonna have time i'm like i'm gonna bring down some stove top it's fine so so i did it so i cooked this but now in hindsight right I think I'm gonna do that every Thanksgiving. 
because people like the dark meat. And and we had multiple legs and we had multiple wings for people to have. So I think next time I cook Thanksgiving, I'm going to have the deconstructed bird. Okay. And, and uh, I have things to say, but I'm gonna just hold it. We have we have company. So I'm just keep it together. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what that looks like. Did you have like one of those big old aluminum pans and you just put the turkey parts in there? I had to do two pans. I had to do two pans. Oh, okay. So like the, breast, the breast was in one pan and then I put the legs and the wings in another pan. And so they, you know, they cook separately. And then if you think about it, if you're not like into, and it was a big breast, right? Like, right. so you could still stuff the breast. Like, you know, I put like garlic and stuff in there, but if you don't do the big presentation at the table, right? Right. Most of the time, that turkey is sliced up. That bird is it's sliced true. up. What Wait. do you mean they don't know? Do they not have eyes? Do they not see five <laughs> wings? Do they know turkeys don't have five wings? <laughs> I, they probably didn't care. Out? What if she made two multiple turkeys and just cut up the parts? Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. You might be onto something there. Well, we have a very special guest. We're so excited. Yes, she is rounded about badass. Miriam, welcome to the Swirl Suite. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to see you all. Yeah, the last time we saw you, it was with the Sparkler show. Yes, that was yeah. two a couple years ago now. Yeah. Crazy yeah. how time has flown by. Is everyone drinking something? What's everybody drinking? No. Oh, okay. Tanisha. Tanisha said no. no. I wish I could say I was, but it's 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 three fifteen out here uh, on the west okay. coast, and uh, I still have like two more meetings after this, so Yikes. I didn't think anyone would appreciate me if I opened up a bottle of wine just yet. But I'll drink something later. Gotcha, <laughs> Leslie. What about you? I am not because I have to be drinking later this evening, so <laughs> I'm impacing myself. So I'm the only person drinking. Great. It's okay. It's oh, okay. no, I have no problem with that. Because Miriam can tell us about her wine because I'm drinking <laughs> oh, her wine. All the jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, love the placement. <laughs> well, what do you think, Sarita? And also, which one is it? Can you tell me on the back which one you're enjoying so I can make sure? This I is um, the Muscat and the Cortese. And Am I saying that right? Cortese. Cortese. Italian. Cortese. So that's actually a really special bottle because I only made about 25 cases of that wine. So it's really, really small production and sort of backing up to explain the wine and how it started. Um, Dan Petrosky, who is the owner of Masakan, knew that I was missing wine production. Um, I I went to Walla Walla Community College for my second degree um, and I got a winemaking degree back in uh, 15, I graduated. And so I moved to Napa, got super busy with a lot of different uh, work with the Culinary Institute and then launching my company. And Dan and I just had a really cool conversation. And I had told him like, in 2021, I was like, I just miss production. It's just so weird to not be in production anymore. And I want to make something that I can use to support some of the projects that I'm, that I'm doing. Um, and he like heard me, but he was like, you're going to be a little busy. Your business is getting, is getting a little busy. So maybe like pump the brakes and don't start making wine this year. But about a year later, he followed up and he said, Hey, I'm launching this collaborative winemaking, um, project called B-Sides. And I want uh, the folks that are, you know, going to make wine for me to make their interpretation of a Masakan wine. And for anybody who hasn't had Masakan wines, they're aromatic, um, Mediterranean, Italian style white wines, um, really beautiful food wine um, from California. And when I got into winemaking, I wanted to make aromatic white wine. That's what I spent most of my harvest doing. So it was just a really full circle moment. And then you fast forward to what is in the bottle in front of you, Sarita. Um, the Muscat Blanc is absolutely amazing, um, like bouncy <laughs> wine. And 
when it came down to blending, Dan and I had the option to kind of go two ways and we couldn't decide. So we ended up making that, that, that wine, the Muscat Cortese, as well as the Muscat Sauvignon Blanc that I make. And the proceeds for those wines go to Field Blends scholarships. Um, and I think, I'm, I think we'll talk about Field Blends, but Field Blends, um, you know, we, we focus on bringing diverse folks into regions or around the country uh, for our trip award program. And this wine was a way to fundraise for that. So it's just a community, a, a wine for the community, um, a wine that is meant to be enjoyed with food, aromatic, dry, low alcohol. And this Muscat Cortese to me is like, maybe it's cliche to say, but you take a sip of it and you kind of want to smile. Like it's just a really sunny wine. Um, and of course it's the one that I made only 25 cases of, but it's like a darling to everybody. <laughs> Luckily I use my Coravin um, to, to pull a glass out of it. But my plan, because the last time I saw you, I was in California um, for the, the camp at UC Davis and with your other company, um, <laughs> um, we were in the kitchen and we made this goddess salad that had me sweating. I forgot the young lady who was helping me, but it's like, oh my gosh, it's like a million herbs in this salad dressing, but it came out so good. And I was like, oh, Miriam gave me her wine. I'm going to make the salad again in my kitchen and pair it with um, her wine. So that is my, that is the plan. I love but that. This is, yeah, this is absolutely the the wine is stunning. It's really good and it is bright and refreshing. It's it's really friendly. So Thank great job. Thank Tell you. us more about this wine that we don't have, Sarita. What else is it like? <laughs> <laughs> Nisha, next time you're in the States, I got you. Just let me know. I'll save you a bottle. I actually only have like two two cases left of the Muscat Cortese, so it's offline. It's have um and the muscat sauvignon blanc there's a little bit left that we made uh, about 80 cases so a little bit left it's funny we um i i did not know and i'm really embarrassed to say that but we carried um the Musticon in our wine club in 2022 so now we'll definitely have to watch out again to include it in our club yes i may i Appreciate that. I did make another wine this year. Um, I made a Lorero, which is a Portuguese white grape and also aromatic, a little bit different stylistically. And it is going to be a little blend just like this one, but we're, I'm yet to reveal the blend, um, but I'm really excited about it. And it'll come out probably February or March too. So what make, what, how do you decide which grapes you want to, um, select for your wines it's kind of funny how it's happened um in that like it's been a little bit unintentional and I say that because in 22 when we were looking for grapes Dan and I really had wanted um to get our hands on some Albarino and unfortunately the growing year there was a bad frost early in the year and there was just a lot of fruit loss and it just wasn't as available as other um grapes became and so honestly well into the season uh I reached out to my friend Justin Trebu who I think all of you know and I was like I just I don't know what I'm gonna make it's got to be aromatic and I'm trying to find the right fit it has to be at least you know organically grown doesn't have to be certified but these are things that we need and she was so kind um because she was already receiving um a bit of Muscat Blanc from Martha Stuman. Uh, for her harvest in 2022. So Justin and I picked on the same day um, and I foot tread in the vineyard for for the sake of having a little bit of skin contact before it went into the press. But it feels like that Muscat Blanc, it, it really like came from this like community conversation that I was having, which was really cool. But I didn't anticipate making Muscat when we first started the project. We had other ideas Obviously, Dan in building Masacon has made a lot of relationships with growers throughout the state um, of high quality, of sustainability. And so there's like more to play with. Uh, but the Muscat Blanc was all mine. And then um, this year, I <laughs> there is a vineyard uh, that Dan has worked with. That's actually where the Cortese comes from called Lost Slough um, down in Lodi. And 
that uh, vineyard had sustainably grown Lorero and Lorero was just, you know, it's going to take a little more education, getting people a little more familiar with the grape, but it's right next to some of the grapes that Dan was already sourcing. They're all like right in a row um, in the same plot together. And that was really cool because I had really kind of fallen in love with this Cortese and and working with those grapes too throughout the process of making my own muscat kind of alongside Dan's winemaking process. So that's how we've chosen them. The funny through line is that in both instances, Dan has never worked with the grapes that I brought in either. So it's been a really fun experience for both of us to make a wine from a grape that neither of us has worked with before. It's like a really fun, creative experience. So can you tell us how Masakan works? Um, did, did you, you knew him before and he invited you to make wine or do you have to apply? How does that work? Yeah, so in um, 2022, he started a project called his collab series or, or a B-side. So his goal was to have some of his favorite winemakers um, create their interpretation of a Masakan wine underneath the Masakan label. So um, there are other folks who've made wine in the collaborative series. And Dan asked me, knowing that I was kind of missing winemaking, I, I think I'm a little bit of a unicorn of the bunch because I'm not a bonded winery. You know, I'm not making wine as my day-to-day job every day for folks. So it's it was this amazing opportunity um, that he came to me with after kind of hearing me out when I was talking about building Merriam and Company and how wine could be a part of that. Um, so that's how it works. So I remain um, a collaborative winemaker under Masakon. Got it. Thank you for that. So can we back up a little bit? I listened to most of the interviews that you've done and read all of your articles. Um, and one person asked a really good question. Um, they asked, what is something that nobody asks you? And you said how you grew up, like your upbringing. So tell us where you grew up and what was your upbringing like? So, you know, what? amazing intelligence (laughs) about research. I feel like you probably know more about me than I do. Um, That is a really good question, isn't it though? Because I think in a lot of these scenarios, we, we get to know people professionally, but it just sometimes feels really removed from who we are personally. I feel like Merriam and Company is definitely this intersection of passion and and profession, but um, it still is like a polished version, right? So I grew up in upstate New York in a place called Binghamton, New York. And that's about three hours from New York City um, and geographically about 10 miles from the, the Pennsylvania border. So I, even though I grew up in in a city that would be considered kind of large for upstate, it was surrounded by rural areas. Um, So there was a lot of like agricultural influence for sure um, growing up. And um, at the same time, Binghamton was a place that a lot of folks uh, moved up from New York City from or from other northeastern states. And so it it was quite diverse which was really cool. Folks from, honestly, so many different countries. Um, and I, I think that really influenced my early like understanding of, of food and tradition, even without even realizing it. Like if I just, I don't even think I've ever said that on an interview before. So there you go, Sarita. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I have an interesting sort of like family dynamic. I I'm um, Pakistani on my dad's side, and and my mom is um, third-gen German here and grew up in Western New York. And so I had this kind of split adult, like young adult experience where I was with my dad sometimes and with my mom sometimes. And my mom, when I turned eight, decided to um, adopt um, as a single mom. And so I have three younger sisters that are adopted from Colombia and Guatemala and the U.S. And that adds other layers of like identity and culture and conversation (laughs) um, to everyday life growing up. We also fostered quite a bit. um, And I spent a lot of time like with 
other folks that were raising kids our age who like had no problem parenting me at the same time too, you know? So it was a very like community feel. I feel really lucky. I grew up in, in like a neighborhood where like kids were running around everywhere all the time. And so I have a lot of like friendships that feel like sibling relationships, even though we're not. So I think for me, that experience growing up in a, in a, like very different way than most people I know informs how I interact in the world and how I, how I see people or hear people. And I think it certainly has affected what I want Miriam and company to do in the food and drink space and what my contribution can be. So I don't know. I just don't think we all, we always get to show up in our full identity I mean like you could come to my house in Binghamton and like (laughs) have people running around screaming and yelling and sounds like a regular family right when when you dial it down it's like oh okay a little bit different when did wine come into play is that something that you grew up with also was it always on your table no I feel like food came first the easiest way to sort of get to wine from there is food food coming first I had like my first sort of experience with hospitality when I was younger was that I got to make a Christmas Eve menu for my family when I was like seven. And I was so excited. My mom was like, probably didn't know even then what to do with me. Um, And so like this idea of kind of getting everyone in my family (laughs) to sit down at the same table and have conversation and enjoy a meal was like a big deal. It was just a card. Um, and and then I think about like fast forward, sort of being motivated by this idea of kind of having everyone in one room and and feeling celebratory or at least being able to have maybe more difficult conversations because there's a meal in front of us. Um, kind of just informed like how I interacted with people. I ended up with a really really close friend whose family was huge and celebrated all the time and <laughs> like big Italian family and they had wine. Um, until then I really didn't have like experience with it. My mom would open a magnum of like yellow, yellow tail. And that would be in the fridge for more than I care to more time than I care to share. And then my dad was, is Muslim. So, you know, we have not a drop of alcohol um, in his home. So um, yeah, it took a long time before I was like exposed, but it was sort of like wine. I knew I loved like the food and planning and stuff like that at a really young age, but it was like, wasn't until I saw wine, um, and the way that it like deepened the connection that I was like, Oh, okay. This is like the final sort of missing piece of the puzzle. You were at CIA for how long and what was your role there? So I, after getting my winemaking degree in Walla Walla, I moved to Napa to work for the Culinary Institute of America. End of 2015, did my role in um, early 16. By then they had acquired this building in downtown Napa called Copia, which had been previously opened by Robert Mondavi and Julia Child and had been closed for some time. And when I was in hospitality school in, my, in undergrad, I had read about Copia and, and it was called the American Center for Food, Fine Food and Arts. Um, I used to be able to say that a lot better, but I'm like a little distance from this <laughs> part of my life now. But um, basically, it was like ahead of its time. But I thought, wow, an amazing place where like you can go and learn about food and wine. And it's like 90,000 square feet. That sounds amazing. And then fast forward, uh, the Culinary Institute acquired the building to reopen it in sort of the vision that Robert Mondavi and Julia Child had and sort of right time, right place had an interview and they were like, we need someone who's going to grow what we already offer um, into this new space and build, you know, on that. And so I started with a couple of folks on my team and worked with two chefs who ended up working with me my entire tenure at CIA. Um, And we had a team of about 30 um, mix of full-time and part-time staff um, by March of 2020. So for me, it was like this opportunity to um, work 
at the forefront of like what was happening in the culinary world. What are we teaching our students and how do I make that bite size for the consumer? Um, pun intended. And we did that uh, together. You know, I, I was the director of public programs. So I was in charge uh, as, as I, you know, I think you would see it on paper, but we worked extremely collaboratively as a department and we would develop new curriculum based on, you know, what is the CIA teaching the industry? What is it teaching the, the students? And how can we translate that to the consumer? And for me, it's like everything that I do, it should be fun. It should be really fun. People are discovering more about themselves and discovering more about food and wine. Like that could be a good time. It doesn't have to be super serious, but we could also like impart a few ideas, like how to waste less food or like how to compost at home. Uh, things like that, you know, so it was a really special time. And in the end, I was working on like series, like multi-panel series where I worked with Chef Andrew Zimmern on a project called Conversations at Copia. Uh, Some TV was part of that. Um, that was where I met them. So just sort of like really built my career. I had the opportunity to be really entrepreneurial and as long as I could contribute to the bottom line, I could test and try, you know, new programs. And, and to me, what we did for the local community and, and even just like the Bay Area community uh, throughout the year was a big part of what my department offered too. So it's just highly community engaging. And I think toward the end, I also really appreciated that I was afforded an opportunity at an institution as big as the Culinary Institute to remove some of like the gatekeeping factors that exist, right? Like I could bring in diverse folks to speak on panels and I could build programs that were more equitable and encourage the introduction of new systems that were more inclusive and just do all of these things. But under the premise of like, come in, enjoy this experience, learn something more about your, yourself and food and drink and, and your community. I am in the middle of watching a few things that are really highlighting sort of the lack of diversity in the culinary world. I'm watching Julia, the, the show based on Julia Childs. And I'm also watching this show called Lessons in Chemistry on Apple TV. They are both really, really good shows, but it, I I had to take a break because I got so angry at what was happening to the women in these shows. And in particular, um, on Julia, the black women um, on that show. But um, when did you realize, like, was it your upbringing because you grew up so, so diverse? Was it your upbringing or the things that you were experiencing in your career that made you want to tackle diversity? Probably both, if I'm being honest. Um, I was like, I was recently on a, another podcast and I was just explaining that like on any given day, like my being young or being a woman or being brown was like TBD. What are the reasons you're in a room or not in a room? You know, um, and I remember just figuring out like, when I didn't have to ask for permission, I wouldn't because permission is, is gatekeeping too. It can, you know, um, and if it's not necessary, it's not necessary. And, uh, I think like it, I was galvanized definitely, definitely when I was like handed the opportunity to be creating stages for people to walk on and like who should be on those stages. It's a big responsibility. I don't think everybody thinks about in, in those positions, but that was important to me, at, I think on a very personal level, but I also felt like I was, I was going to beat the hell out of that drum um, as much as I could, you know, and I think that carried over to Miriam and company, but I grew up, we're four girls, like in my households, four, four women, like my mom was a single mom adopting folks. And I just like, there's, there's a lot of strength in, that comes with that, you know, just like probably some of my determination just comes from like a level of resilience. I didn't choose myself, you know, <laughs> like just gotta make it happen. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I I don't know if I even answered the question, but I feel like it was both. Um, 
the, the point. And, and I think like a, an important distinction for the sake of anyone who has listened to my work or seen what I've put out there, that championing diversity is an important piece of what I do, but it doesn't define me. And I think a lot of people in 2020 got put in a box because of how they looked and the assumed expertise they would have to help majority white teams figure it out. So I'm just, you know, a little laying that distinction down for anybody who needs to hear it. One, I appreciate your comments. Uh, and I, I, and I, I wonder, not only from your background, but your very youthful spirit, that there, there weren't, I don't know how to phrase this, but like when we're young, we feel we can conquer the world because we're young and we we spot injustice, right? And we haven't been in our careers long enough to learn how to play the game um, for survival, right? So I guess what I was wondering is, do you think that that was part of it because you, you know, you saw the landscape for what it was and you saw that you had the opportunity to, to make a difference and to bring other people along and to broaden that, that tent, widen the tent. Um, and you didn't have situations before that would say, no, like you said, let me ask for permission. I know that's a convoluted question. <laughs> I don't, I want to make sure I, I answer it in the way you in, like are intending the ask, but like what stands out to me is um, that I, I didn't really think about situations as a, like a, it's gonna, yes, it's gonna work this way or no, it's not, it's not gonna work. I think I just, I started noticing how like people reacted or felt um, about certain things. And I felt like if I could understand that, I could present things in a way that were most palatable mm -hmm. <laughs> to the people I was like trying to quote, right, get permission right. from. Mm -hmm. That sounds really like high level for a kid but I definitely was born with that that is like something mm -hmm. that I, is part of my identity that I like couldn't even unlearn if I tried um and I think that's one of those very if you will like sci-fi moments as a as a human for me of like you can use that power for good or you could use that power as manipulation <laughs> so, like how do you how you know how do you maneuver and I I definitely have, have mostly okay nobody's perfect but I mostly used it for good and I think um whether or not that came from experiences when I was young or if it came from my just something that's really cognitive about me I don't know maybe both but my youthful spirit is on any given day, just that, right? Being youthful is also sometimes unpredictable. It's like, sometimes you're having a really great day and sometimes you're really ticked. Like, <laughs> so, so like this work, the work isn't always easy. Some days um, I'm like, really, what, what, you know, what the heck? Like this existential crisis of like, this isn't going to work. And then other days I'm like, I don't care if people like say yes, it's, we're going to make it work like ideally for the good of, of a group, right? But Looking for somewhere to advertise? Consider the Swirl Suite podcast. Yep, right here. The Swirl Suite is now open for pre-roll advertisements, mid-roll advertisements, or post-roll advertisements. Some of our packages even include a social media shout out. If you're interested in sponsoring one episode or perhaps more, simply email us at swirlsweet at gmail.com. Cheers.
how many businesses do you have? Are there three? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just tell us. Just just tell us. <laughs> just run them down. I'm like, I'm literally like, how many? Okay, so um, I am a partner in a company called Plate Kitchen, P-L-A-Y-T-E. And that is a company that specializes in helping people learn and cook and play in the kitchen, um, adults or otherwise. Like we worked on some youth programs, um, but it's it's for fun. And we teach all kinds of topics, um, mostly in a hands-on cooking format. And then we do a lot of virtual education, especially like on the corporate side. That's mostly run by Chef Sandy Sauter and Chef Matt Daly. Um, but I get to help dream up um, some of the the partnerships and concepting that Plate Kitchen does. And um, luckily for me, I get to work with them in the office and help them create content and things like that. It's, it's a really cool studio space. So anytime you guys come and visit Napa, I'll take you there for sure. Um, so that's one. And then Miriam and Company is my main business. The, the wine collaboration falls under the umbrella of Miriam and Company, as does Field Lens um, and the Diversity in My Leadership Forum. So basically, I look at Miriam and Company like an ecosystem. You know, they all kind of feed each other. Uh, my, my client consulting, which is creating education programs or experiential programs um, like in the field or depending on like which market they're doing, uh, we're doing conferences or like three-day immersions and regions, like going back to Walla Walla. Um, and those are me helping a client connect their message to um, something maybe like more strategic, basically, how does your brand fit in in this space question mark? Um, that space is sort of like an insert word here, <laughs> space. And um, a lot of times that could look like me working with a food and wine brand, especially like specifically, or I work with brands like Kia um, to help them like connect their sustainable cars, sustainable travel and lifestyle. So it's really, really fun. And all of that ends up like kind of fueling like what I can do, sort of what I can, how I can give back, which is field blends um, and being able to create these in-region experiences for people um, across the country and sort of applying my own passion for programming without anyone else's like agenda and just kind of engaging a community and in, in bringing new folks to that place and um, sharing with the attendees more about the community of like change makers and people doing really cool stuff in regions. So they conceptually, everything feeds everything else. Um, but I think like a lot of people are like, when do you sleep? I'm like, well, they all, they all work together. So it's actually totally fine. <laughs> it's just my defined day today. You know, it's okay if it doesn't work for you. So congratulations on your new position on the executive board of UC Davis Department of Enology and Viticulture. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really excited. That is a big, big deal. Yeah, it's a very important big responsibility. For sure. That's that's big girl panties there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, I am. You know, my last name is Ahmed, so I end up getting pushed to the top of the list of some of these things. So you like go to the website now and your girl is first on the list. So it's like, okay, we really got to represent now. But I'm excited. I'm going to be working on uh, some of the recruitment initiatives and um, kind of uh, communications around like what's going on at the school and what exciting innovations the students are part of and um, even like wines that the students are making, things like that. So I'm really honored to be part of it. And of course, we'll continue to champion bringing more diverse people into that work. Um, and they're, they're open, they're like ready to be challenged. And I really appreciate that. That's wonderful. That that is it's it, it's one of those things where, you know, we we talked about this in the past. Of how long do people stay open? You know, is it was it an invoke thing and then it 
it was fleeting or are we really changing mindsets and it continues to be open? So I'm glad to hear that the drumbeat continues. For some people, yes, but also marrying with someone is going to kick the door open. Like if you open it a little bit, just like sometimes people open the door like, hey, who is it? Kick the rest She's of the door open. Like, uh-uh, I'm here. What? What? <laughs> Thanks, Tanisha. Yeah, I mean, don't give me an inch. <laughs> I want to say one thing sure. about what Leslie was saying about mm-hmm. like, is it fleeting, you know, was, was supporting an initiative like in vogue and now, and now it's not. I mean, I think there are a lot of like social impact organizations just in wine alone that are experiencing just now and we're three three years into a lot of people's journey um, in understanding how inequitable our world is um, and our country is. And I think we are feeling the pain as like social impact people. We feel the pain when it comes to funding and when it comes to volunteering. And that is something I think that we should be calling attention to because equity is not in vogue. (laughs) Equity is not even in fashion yet. Um, So like we still need a lot of help in that regard. And um, I mean, if uh, Tanisha said like, I'd kick a door open, I guess like here's, this is the door because I think we are seeing across the board some, some challenge there. And a lot of us are working on those on solutions, but one of the things, you know, that's so great about a platform like Swirl Suite is like, we can get the word out faster to people to say like, hey, if you have time, help us out. We need, we need help. Um, we need fresh eyes. Uh, we need funding, you know, <laughs> um, because this work is so important, but as time goes by, you know, the diminishing returns, like it's just distant from people's minds, um, it feels. And so it's just a good opportunity to remind people that like we, we're not there yet, you know, we're really not. And I think it's vital work that still needs to be done. I love on the flip side of that, seeing just how different our industry is now because of the work of those organizations. I can't wait for like how, how, like for the second half, I think of my career, like what, what the food and and beverage space will look like. I'm, I'm so excited, but we need people resourced in order to get there. We, we need resources and we need, and we need to continue to say it. We need to say it and, um, and we need to say it within our own communities because sometimes we are our worst offenders. So we we need to, to continue to say it within our communities as well as other communities. Can I ask y'all a question? What, do, what does support look like? If somebody's listening to this show and they don't really know how to help, how to support, how to volunteer, what does that look like in your eyes? Excellent question, Serena. I mean, first of all, anyone who's listening that is interested, please send a DM to Miriam and Company on Instagram, and I will connect you to any of 14 organizations that belong to the Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum or 15 organizations that don't belong to the Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum. I'll send you where you're trying to go, okay? So just send me a message. But I think like what I see, what I hear the needs are, are... There's a huge need for board members, active board member participation for these organizations. Um, There are, of course, like demands on folks when it's a volunteer position. A lot of the time people are are only really supposed to be working two terms and year terms. And then like there's who do we turn it over to? Um, So I think if you're feeling like sort of called to be of service in this way in the industry, 
your time and expertise would be valued. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't have enough experience to be a board member, that's wrong, especially if you are willing to be active. We can teach the rest. Um, we, there is a, a call for funding. And then I would say support also looks like going to the events, buying buying a ticket if you can to attend an event or, or making a, a commitment to like buy a ticket for somebody else, like whatever anyone can do. Um, we, we can't like the work can't be for an empty audience you know? So I think those are three ways people could support off the top of my head. I I would echo that. And I would say professionally, I mean, buying wine, but I think it's also, it's giving, giving winemakers access to a larger platform. So building foundational resources like more minority distributors um, where they can distribute their wine, right? Because if you're making wine and you don't sell it, then you're not going to be making wine much longer Then it's just a hobby. So building that foundational um, platform where they're able to get in front of larger audiences. Thank you, ladies. I love that. Um. Last call for questions for Miriam before we do our randoms. Randoms. Or Miriam, if you have questions for us. I've never asked guests that, but <laughs> I don't. If you have any questions, well, I, I have to ask a question. Okay. I'll, 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 I, oh, I have, we have to shake it up. I, I'll just ask a general one. Anyone, anyone can answer. What, what about wine is inspiring you right now? I could use a drop of that. Don't say Mary McCompany wine, Sarita, either. I know you want to, but you can't. That's that's a cop out. Oh, what's inspiring me right now? Travel and wine tourism. Um, I think that's something that just being out, seeing the different places, the different regions, um, being able to meet winemakers, especially the smaller ones, and being out in the nature. I wasn't even like a nature person, but every time I've been wiring and walking and hearing someone's story, kind of thing. Um that is just very inspiring to me. We just we just selected our wines for our winter wine club, and it's all domestic wines, and um, and I was just learning about new varietals that are in the United States that I didn't know about, and um, and I'm just excited to share that with other people. I get all like schoolgirlish about it, and like, oh, did you know it was that? So. That is what's expiring me now. Um, for me, I didn't think I had an answer until you guys started talking. But I think that seeing the people in our wine community, especially ones who are, you know, really diverse and, and in our culture, get opportunities to be on TV. So I just finished High on the Hog and just seeing Cha and just like all these oh, like yeah, familiar faces. And so it's just like... Ah, I just saw you you were on the show and it's just it's amazing to grow with people and just to see everybody blossom together that is so perfect you all answered beautifully thank you for answering the question that I asked even though I'm supposed to be the one answering questions we're happy to be participants of the swirl suite okay so this is the fun part of the show where we ask you random stuff and these questions are for everyone. Okay, first one, you can go as deep as you want to. What color represents your energy right now? Oh, well, right now, I'm just going to say the color that represents my energy is very specifically sunshine yellow. That is my color. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know about the right now caveat. Um, I think people are just, I'm dealing with a lot of grant writing. I mentioned that when I first logged on, but grant writing and getting people on board for big things and pushing people out of their comfort zone and like 
my inclination is to pick a really moody color. But if I'm being honest, I'm just walking around like a Care Bear, just like sh shining people in the face with my yellow until they say yes to handing me the funding or bringing bringing something that I need into the into the like interview. So I don't even really want to change my color. That's my that's the color of my energy. But it's very specifically sunshine. Uh, so that like pure yellow. I would say, um, I don't know what this color is, but the color of dawn before the sun rises, because I'm going through a metamorphosis. And so I feel like, you know, it's a little dark, but you can see the sun rising. So whatever that color is. Love it. I feel like when you said dawn, immediately the first word that popped into my head was opportunity in all capital letters. You, did you see Tanisha's response? Yes. That's a good one. Yeah, read it. You can read it, Leslie. Green, because I'm rich in opportunities and connections and friendships right now. I love that. Um, For me, I feel like I'm sort of a shade of orange. So I am... Because like orange is a mix of like yellow and red. I've got the the sunshine bear yellow, but I've also got like a fire. So it's like a blend of those two. That's how I'm feeling right now, especially like as the year closes and then you have like a new year, new opportunity to be great and be different and be better. So that's where I am. Last song you played on repeat. Um, <laughs> it's a tie. <laughs> this is ridiculous it's not ridiculous it's a tie probably because I have been going into a lot of rooms like uh, having to educate and um I typically when I need that boost of confidence listen to flawless um almost it's like every time I'm going into a big meeting and I've been doing a lot of that lately so lot of flawless um close tie to get me bodied so either way I'm in Beyonce the Beyonce realm <laughs> so <laughs> I have I, I I have been at the church of Beyonce the altar of Beyonce and I have been listening to cozy another great mm -hmm. I'll go next Tanisha put yours in the chat if you're still awake <laughs> um mine is Beyonce also I saw renaissance this weekend yeah, if you need any like ounce of like motivation, just go sit and see it. I mean, the stuff that she's she still has to put up with on her level is 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 insane. Anyway, I won't even give it away. But um, the song that's been on repeat since I saw Renaissance in the theater is probably um, all up in your mind. I play that over and over again. Um, does Tanisha have an answer? Oh, she doesn't have a song. That's fine. Guilty pleasure, snack or candy? Can be anything. I'm like trying to think of something cute, but I'm, they're not cute. I don't know. Leslie, you go. What is my guilty? I have to think about that. I, I recently, I have been making myself pancakes for lunch for like <laughs> the past three days. I like. I don't even like pancakes. You're making buttermilk pancakes. I have been making pancakes, and and I um, I put whipped cream on top. <laughs> I have to stop this. This is not good. This is very holiday vibe. Like, <laughs> just do what you gotta do. It's it's comfort food. Tanisha said BBQ potato chips with Hidden Valley Ranch dip. Okay. That's a, cool. that's a real winner combo. Mm -hmm. I've never had that, but now I have to try it. I don't know. I feel like I, this is, I am like a child in this moment because I'm like, what do I say? But I really love apple. <laughs> I really like apples and peanut butter, but like basically it's just anything in peanut butter. That's a like, it's, um, I feel like I'm five answering this question, but it is a it is it's a guilty pleasure in that um you feel like you can have it whenever you want, even though that's probably not true. <laughs> also, um 
In true transparency, I've been to your house and I did not see any filthy snacks. So I knew your answer was going to be very, very healthy. So (laughs) it really kind of got me. It's true. I I don't know. I can't have them around. I can't have barbecue chips and Hidden Valley Ranch dressing. I'll (laughs) eat it all the time. I have no restraint. I can't have pancakes for lunch. It's not an option. (laughs) What did she say? I just got over it because I don't have easy access to peanut butter. Okay. I wish I had a, no, I have a savory tooth, um, but like chocolate. So let me tell y'all what I did. Over the holiday, I made chewy chocolate chip cookies and I had ice cream. So when (laughs) I ate the cookies the next day, I put one at the bottom of the bowl and put it in the microwave so I could get warm again and then I put the ice cream on top it was absolutely horrible but it was so damn good it was so good I had to stop I was like no more I can't I can't keep doing this so sounds perfect yeah it's it's bad it's a problem okay movie you can watch over and over again you don't seem like a tv person so I'm very curious about what your answer is (laughs) Miriam. Um, movie I could watch over and over again. Yeah, that's you didn't really know me, Sarita. You did all that research really paying off. I'll say this: I, because you're right, I don't even know what the movie is. I could watch probably like I don't even know, but I did just watch this movie called The Farewell. Um, and an actress Aquafina. She's she's a comedian, but it's like a serious role that she plays, and it's such story about like multi-generational and cultural um relationships and it takes place mostly in China and it is so good I would watch that movie again so I'll count that as a on repeat for the sake of I literally can't think of a movie that I've watched like more than a few times other than Elf at the holidays the color purple which I'm getting my ticket for Christmas to watch it Sophia 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 and I could watch school days on repeat non-stop and um the whiz I could sing and dance the old school whiz Michael Jackson with the big nose I could watch that whiz yes there are a lot there are a lot but one of my as good as it gets Y'all know that one? As good as it gets. Um, Harlem Nights. Um, Bridesmaids. I will admit, though, on the TV front, this is a fun fact that I don't think I've ever <laughs> shared on a podcast. <laughs> um, and I do like Shonda Rhimes. So I, ah. I, I have seen every single episode of Grey's Anatomy. Same, dear. Same. Yeah, the emotional labor. Every wow, I've been watching since it started. I was, I didn't do the thing where I watched eight seasons and then you Mm -hmm. know stayed stayed in touch. I have every year watched it, and I don't know how people are going to feel about that, but I felt like that could be my most honest thing Mm -hmm. I could say is I haven't ever missed an episode of Grey's Anatomy. I have a question. (laughs) So what? Um, because you don't watch much much TV, like what attracts you to Grey's Anatomy? Is it just Grey's Anatomy or any Shonda Rhimes show? Um, well, man, see, like I think I like television better because I can spend like I I can do the episode length a little bit easier. Um, like I really like some of the stuff that like. Mindy Kaling put out like never have I ever that was an amazing show for me to watch I felt like there was just so much representation and like not just that like oh this show is diverse that's not what I mean it's like they talk about the potential of getting stopped at an airport and having to book time for that like on tv and for me I'm like oh my god that is so relevant um so I feel like in the tv world I I I think Mindy Kaling's done some really cool stuff in the past year. Issa Rae, Sarita, you know, we 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 have this um, just irreverent like thing for Issa Rae. And I feel like for the attraction to Grey's Anatomy, 
I don't know. I I started watching it when I was young and I like I just couldn't quit. Like I was like, I've already dedicated this much of my life to it and like I can't quit now. Um and I also do think it's funny though, because my dad is in medicine. Um I like make a lot of jokes about how I know like everything about his job because I've seen 18 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. And he absolutely hates that, which is makes it more fun. <laughs> I love that. Um, side note, Leslie, I'm rewatching Power and I'm having such a good time doing it. Such a Are you really? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I, I gotta do that. It's so <laughs> good. Guys, the last time we were all together, uh, we were in the Finger Lakes and we were in our little Airbnb and we had a TV and we turned on power. Glennis had never seen it before. We could have sat there all day for days and just drank wine and watched Glennis respond to power. That's all I want to do. <laughs> That's all I want to do. Because I was waiting for her reactions. Man. And then she went home and watched them all. <laughs> Miriam, you answered the last question. The fun fact that people may not know about you. The Grey's Anatomy. If you hadn't asked the question before, I would have never thought to answer the yeah. question that way yeah. you wouldn't have said oh I've I've seen all those episodes <laughs> um Tanisha or Leslie do you have any fun facts that people may not know about you no I'm pretty much an open book uh maybe like a fun fact would be that when I was in Walla Walla I coached a girls softball team a 12U like so 10 year olds to 12 year olds, um, softball team. And I inherited what would have been categorized as the bench warmers. And we got all the way to second place in the league. So hidden talent, awesome. whatever that I can coach <laughs> the most terrifying age of girls into winning softball games. <laughs> That's awesome. Actually, you know what? I have one. Uh-huh. I'm listening. When I was in high school and I didn't want to do something, I would pretend to pass out. And it works the first couple of times. <laughs> and then after that, your mother gets worried that her child is just passing out, falling out. I was very no, good at it. No, no, no. What you have you to mean? tell us. You have to tell us exactly what you did. Act like I was getting lightheaded, and I would literally fall on the ground on purpose. On purpose, yes, because I didn't feel like doing it. What didn't you want to do? I don't, I don't know. It was like some like stupid what, chore or dishes? something. Like, what did you want to do? <laughs> yeah, it was some. I mean, I don't even know what it was, but it was something stupid that I didn't, I didn't want to do, and I I didn't feel like fighting with my mom, so I would just pass out. And you never hurt yourself. You never like fell oh, out and like, hit your head oh. on the desk. Girl, I was full of drama. I, was, oh I knew what gosh. I was doing. So what happened? Did they figure out you were faking or did you have to yeah. go to the doctor? Yeah. yeah, because then my mother was like, we need to take her to the doctor. And I was like, I'm not, faking because you didn't want to go. Right. I was like, I'm going to the doctor. And so I was like, I'm fine. And of course, of course I got in trouble and we can't talk about what abuse happened after that wow i don't even that's the funnest fact i've ever heard i i don't even know if i can top that wow um all i was gonna say is i i really i really like the pottery wheel <laughs> um like when i get older and i live in a different place maybe with a garage i'm gonna be the little old lady with long gray hair doing a pottery wheel drinking wine. really that yeah I, I've only done it once because it's actually expensive. The classes are expensive. So um, I took it. And it's hard. It, it's but hard. I got, I really clung to it in high school. In high school, we had a really uh -huh. invasive like um, art program. So I took photography and I was like, ah, this is okay. But that pottery wheel, I would show up and change my clothes and just get dirty. Like people hated it because they didn't like to get dirty. And I loved it. So, yes, that's one fact about me. I love the pottery wheel. I don't know how good I am. I haven't done it in a very long time, but yeah. It is really cool. I only just took a class um, in November, like a month ago, and my first one ever. And I, 
I went with um, my friend Iman and her sister and our friend Molly and like it was really cool because everyone approached their their first time very differently but my goal was just like try as many techniques as possible and like if you walk away with something great but that is like really hard because you want to do it right like you want to do it well and pottery like learn especially when you're using this the wheel like you you can't you're not good in the beginning like you're just not and it's, so it's super frustrating but it's like a good thing you know <laughs> I, I took it in the college as my art. I thought it was going to be my easy art. I almost failed that class. I got to see. <laughs> I spent so much time in the studio. It's like, I can't believe I'm going to fail pottery. Well, I walked away with like the world's smallest vase, like one bud probably <laughs> by the end. Cause I was like, just breaking everything <laughs> I'm trying to practice these things so now I'll have this tiny little doll jug to show everyone for my pottery class I have much respect for you Sarita because it was so hard for me my professor he was such an he was like I'll tell you if it's a turd and it's not good oh my gosh that is so hilarious oh man well this was great. Miriam, thank you so much for coming on the show and hanging with us. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate you and the platform you have. So I'm happy to come visit anytime. Absolutely. Before you go, so everybody where they can follow you. So on Instagram, you can find me personally on Good Friends Good Food or the Miriam and company all spelled out m-a-r-y-a-m and my website is exactly the same Miriam and company and all the things are there we send a newsletter twice a month and that often includes like opportunities for scholarships and for events that are going on across the country and a little editorial by yours truly yeah it's pretty fun I, I like to think so I would say sign up for the newsletter too as a little plug Fantastic. Uh, Tanisha uh, and Leslie, any announcements, anything going on for the holiday? Nope. Going to Chicago. That's it. Oh, nice. Yay. Very yes, nice. I got, I got for a week, so that'll be a fast. Oh, week. that's nice. Oh, Very fun. nice. Send me that address, Tanisha. I'll send you some wine. <laughs> send me your address. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't think I have anything. Oh, me and Tanisha are recording videos going through our advent calendars. Oh, is, very fun. Yeah, yeah, hers is from Lidl and mine is from Costco. So we recorded a video yesterday that I have to edit and post. But yeah, it's cute, fun, you know. Well, folks, that is the show. Thank you for listening. And cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. Thanks for joining the Swirl Speed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Vine Me Up, Glenn is at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha, Vino301 is Leslie, and you can follow the Swirl Sweet podcast account at Swirl Sweet. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vime Me Up Media. <laughs>